1: So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks.
0: At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. It's okay to have weaknesses. It's not like you need to check off these boxes. It doesn't work like that, right? As you said, if you have a monster QB and a monster first-round running back and a good receiver in round three and a decent tight end in round five, and those guys produce every week, and you get one or two guys to pop, you probably win the league.
1: football draft kit i'm rotowire president peter shanke along with managing editor and our football guru chris liss uh, this is august 12th 2015 uh, this is meant to be a compliment to our cheat sheets and all the other knowledgeable stuff you can get at rotowire.com slash football go there and get the full list of everything we're talking about uh liss, we're a couple weeks into the preseason we've had one football game pretty meaningless uh Hardly anybody played from the Vikings or Steelers, but still, NFL preseason is here. Uh, stuff is obviously happening in training camp every single day. Before we dive into rankings and that kind of stuff, a couple of recent items to go over. Obviously the big news, Arian Foster out four to six weeks, maybe missed eight games with the groin injury. A little bit out of uncertainty in terms of his injury time, but obviously knocks him way out of uh, fantasy leagues. Um, What's your take on drafting him? Who's going to replace him? How does it alter, you know, the first or, your first or second round strategy?
0: Well, there's a few things that this brings to light, right? First off, league parameters are so important when you're talking about player values, right? In the stake league, the other night when we were doing this auction, it's a 16-team league, but you only have six bench spots, and we have all these IDPs, and, you know, the bidding got up to 7 or 8 bucks on Foster out of a $200 budget, and it's a great deal if he plays nine or ten games or even eight, but I don't know if you can carry him for eight weeks in that league. It's just too hard with the injuries you get and the bye weeks. So I just didn't want to deal with the headache. And so in a league with small benches and a lot of different starting positions, where you're going to need to shuttle in guys, um, I don't. You know, it's really costly. If you're in the NFFC where you have a ten-man bench, I love Foster. I'll take him in round seven, right? I mean, I may get him for the second half. That could be huge. That could be a game changer for me in round seven. So it really depends on the parameters of your league. The other thing this the Foster injury kind of illustrates and brings home is. You know, you think you have the backup. Oh, I drafted Alfred Blue. Uh, Mark Stoppa thought he was so clever in the Stopa League getting Alfred Blue. You know, look, it's early in the summer. Guys will get hurt. Well, we don't even know if Alfred Blue is going to be the guy. It could be Chris Polk. They brought in Pierre Thomas. They didn't agree on a contract. could be Jonathan Grimes. Nobody knows, right? Unless you have sort of a Jamal Charles-Nile Davis situation or DeMarco Murray-Ryan Matthews situation where you pretty much know the other guy's going to get the carries, you know, this whole handcuffing thing is pretty dumb.
1: Yeah, I mean, so okay, so where are you, where where are you, you know, you're only going to take Foster, if it's a draft where you can, you know, it doesn't cost you a lot to hold on to him for like half the season. Now, where, where does Blue jump up to in your rankings for for running back?
0: You know, we don't know if he's the guy, but for all purposes, he is the guy at the moment. I don't know. You know, eighth, ninth, right? You know, around 100, a little bit over. I mean, just he's just in the mix. You know, Chris Polk could be the guy. Um, Alfred Blue wasn't very good when he got the chance last year, so I'm not especially confident in him. I mean, if you, if you want to get a backup to somebody, right, the guy has to get, you know, basically the guy's workload. That has to be assured. That's not the case with Blue. And he has to be, say, like 80% as good as the guy. That's not necessarily the case either between Blue and Foster, especially you know, as a receiver out of the backfield. So, you know, I would take him at some point, right? There, there's a good chance he's a starter to start the season. But, you know, I'm not. It's just one of many guys. I mean, I think you look at guys like, you know, David Johnson and David Cobb and kind of these rookie backups. I think he's kind of more in that you know, that area than anybody who's really a starter. And are the Texans even
1: an offensive unit where the offensive line so in the setup is so good that whoever steps in is going to be a star? Because that's kind of what happened in 2010 where, you know, everyone was kind of excited about the Houston Texans off, you know, offense. Then the presumptive starter got hurt. Foster was like third string. He got the role and obviously he started, but it was more than just his skill.
0: It was everything else. I mean, is that situation even present in Houston right now? 2010, may as well be 1910. okay? I mean, it, it's just a whole different thing. I mean, Matt Schaub was still good then. He was their quarterback. Right now, it's going to be Hoyer, who we know is bad, or it could be Ryan Mallett, who has like a 1-in-20 chance of being good or being pr- very good. I mean, maybe he's got a 1-in-5 chance of being good. Um, and so he might be if he wins the job. But, you know, it's just so nebulous there. Um and the offensive line, who the hell knows? You know, obviously Blue did not. I think he averaged 3.1 or 3.3 yards per carry or something last year, so he obviously did not just step in and do what Foster was doing. So, um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not bullish on that. I, I, again, it would be like eighth, ninth round, and I felt like, okay, maybe I have Le'Veon Bell, and I want a guy who, you know, if he's named the starter, could carry me for a couple weeks while Bell is suspended, or I have Todd Gurley, I might use him, but he's not a guy I'm really, you know, going to target in my drafts.
1: Okay, so some other news early on. I mean, nothing major, but you know, from an interest standpoint, Geno Smith out six to ten weeks because he got punched in the jaw by team teammate, teammate allegedly, and there's no guarantee he gets his job back. Ryan Fitzpatrick takes over. Obviously, we're talking—we're you know, not talking a fancy shakeup unless you're in a two-two quarterback, you know, 14-team league. But um, that's one notable thing. Any other? I mean, any other entries or developments this this preseason catch your attention? I mean, Todd Gurley. You know, he's practicing. We're not sure about week one. Sam Bradford, the news sounds good on his knees. Anything else really kind of strike your fancy as far
0: as maybe, you know, changing your thinking on some players or or your rankings? Not really. And I think I'm really trying not to be influenced by anything I'm reading because I just think, like, your instincts based on your experience playing fantasy football over the years, based on what you know about these players and their situations, is basically what they're worth, okay? Sometimes a guy makes a good catch in practice and people start talking about him. Sometimes a guy, you know, is late to a practice and the coach is pissed at him. I mean, all that stuff happens, but I think most of it's just noise. Um, I'm not really reading much into anything. I'm just going by what I think, you know, guys in his third year or second year, and he's got experience, he's going to get more targets. Those are the things that matter. I don't really, you know, think that anything. You know, what do we really know about Todd Gurley? I mean, he's certainly not, you know, on crutches right now. I mean, he's moving well. It's the the ACL healing is going sort of according to pace, but we don't know if he's going to get 20 carries in week one or even play in week one. There's been no new information really shed on that. There's been no... The worst-case scenario hasn't happened, obviously, but we really don't know where we are, except that, so far, so good, but there's no new information. So people get excited. They're like, yeah... You know the reports on Todd Gurley are good, but they're really no. No one's gotten specific and said this guy's going to get a big workload week one. He looks ready. Nobody's come out and say that.
1: Right. I mean, other than at the beginning of the preseason, there's the possibility he could have been on the PUP list and, and guaranteed to miss week one. But he's obviously nothing's right. impossible. Worst case
0: scenario has been avoided, but we really just don't know. And so, yeah, I, I would take Todd Gurley just for the pedigree that he has and and the chance that he's ready. But there's you know there hasn't really been new information except that yes, he's. It looks like he's not starting the regular season on the pup. So, uh, with that said, you've done a
1: couple of drafts. Uh, we did. We, you mentioned the 16-team stake league auction we did Monday. You've done your own national fantasy football championship league, NFFC. Our friends there. Um, I've done two of those. Two of the two of them. So you've got a lot of drafts, uh, you know, done so far.
0: You know, what any what's what's generally been some trends you've seen? Here, you know, what's your strategy? Here's, hey, hey, here's you know. the deal. Here, here's the deal. Okay. You want to have an easy draft, take receivers early, take running backs in rounds, you know, three through six-ish, couple of receivers maybe in there, uh, and wait on quarterbacks. That's the easy way to do your draft. right? I'm not saying it's the best way to do your draft. I'm just saying it's the way that everything's going to flow no, it's right. The, it's the high percentage better team, that's what I think, but go ahead. I don't think so, actually. I think it's just the one that's going to flow right. You're going to get your receivers, and then you're going to say, wow, Lamar Miller's there in round four. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. You know, you're going to say, oh, T.J. Yeldon's there in round five or Todd Gurley. I'll gamble on that. That's a great gamble in round five. You know, in round seven or eight, you'll say, oh, Tony Romo's there in round eight. I'll take that. Good. You know, you'll get your tight end that you like, Vernon Davis for me in round 11. You'll get everything you want, okay, if you do it that way. I'm not saying that's going to be a better team. It's just on paper it's going to flow easily. What I found that when I took Le'Veon Bell with the first pick in one draft and the second in the other, um, that, you know, and I took Andrew Luck in the second round in one of them, that those receivers at the end of round three Uh, are not guys I really want. You know, around midway through round three, the Jordan Matthews, Brandon Cooks, those things dry up. DeAndre Hopkins, they dry up. And you're looking at Golden Tate. Uh, You're looking at, um, you know, Sammy Watkins, who's in a bad situation and still a little dinged up. You know, it's not pretty what you're looking at at the end of round three. So uh, I think that the running backs are more plentiful in that area. So the receivers, they're really good at the top, the first two rounds, but they get scarce quickly. Um, And then, you know, tight ends, there's a couple good ones and then just, Forget about it once you miss out on those. And, and quarterbacks, I think it's worth taking luck with the late second, early third-round pick in some formats. But, again, I, everyone knows this. This is, like, just obvious. But if you don't get Rodgers or Luck, you know, obviously don't get a quarterback until, you know, as late as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've noticed in the drafts we've done uh, already as well, the wide receiver, you know, thins out a lot quicker than you think. I mean, Jordan Matthews is always, like, the last good receiver. and everyone It seems like somebody's always high on him. And, get, and he gets overbid like he did in the stake league. And then after that, you just start getting into a lot of territory we're just not sure. Whereas with the running backs, you know, I like going on that strategy because there's like you you mentioned a bunch of them, but five or six guys where if you just get one or two to pop, you know, you've got a good team. So that that's the strategy I'm taking this year in most of my drafts and auctions, but you know, we'll see how it goes. You know, um,
0: I was I was debating this with, with Jeff on the on the air and also Scott Pianowski on the pod, on the East Coast Offense podcast. Okay. And if you take a QB, if you take Luck at the end of two or early three, it it really makes your draft ugly because, you know, everyone else is getting Romo so late or Eli in round 10, and and they've gotten running backs and receivers in those early rounds where you've had to use one on a quarterback. And you don't feel good about your draft because that running back you get in round eight or 10 is not going to be as solid as Eli or or Tony Romo or whoever quarterback they're going to get. But a funny thing, you know, once the season actually starts and you start playing games and Luck, if he does what he did last year, that all is kind of forgotten, you know? And when that running back and they get in round two busts, as so many do every year, and that QB you got in round two is a monster, as every top QB, not every, but most of them live up to their billing these days. I mean, when you draft Rodgers, you get Rodgers. I mean, you know, Breeze almost every year, last year was a down year, was still pretty good. You get value, you get production. Um, I think sometimes when the season starts, uh, the, you know, the draft that looks good or feels good on paper that flowed well, Oh, that's kind of out the window. Yeah, I think that's kind of the falla- fallacy
1: of the analysis post draft, where like it, when you look at like like we did for this draft on Monday, the teams that look the best, are the teams that are the most complete, right? Well, they don't have any holes. They don't, you know, right. this team doesn't have like a you know backup running back and a backup tight end. But the reality is that lots of times the teams that win have like four good players. You know, pick up a bunch of guys on the waiver wire, and huge holes that they had before week one end up being no big deal. So, yeah, that's the danger. I mean, I still think the strategy of wide receivers early and running backs in the middle rounds is more viable. But you're right. If somebody takes a quarterback early and, you know, they just get good values at three or four spots, they could end up having a better team, even though, you know, you might not, uh, you know,
0: wager on them on week one. I think that's a really good point, the thing about the holes, right? Because I think that a lot of expert drafters and even just experienced, you know, regular guy, I don't think there's real experts at fantasy football. I mean, I think people who played for 10 years know the game just as well. Um, and I think a lot of people, they tend to check off the boxes. Good quarterback, got Tony Romo good running backs, decent receivers, decent tight end, I've got a really good team. But it's not just about checking off the boxes. They're not categories. There's no category for tight end, right? It's not like baseball where you have 10 categories and one of them is tight end. How well did you do with tight end? Oh, I need stolen bases, I need tight end production. No, you don't. You get crap from your tight end. As long as you're getting ridiculous amounts from everybody else, you still win, right? And then maybe you pick up a tight end, as you said. It's okay to have weaknesses. It's not like you need to check off these boxes. It doesn't work like that, right? As you said, if you have a monster QB, and a monster first-round running back, and a good receiver in round three, and a decent tight end in round five, and those guys produce every week, and you get one or two guys to pop, you probably win the league. So I think there's a huge emphasis of this on-paper, post-draft way of grading your draft, and I think it's skewing people to, you know, you have these guys who just will not take a QB early. They just will not. And I said, well, what if you knew he'd throw for 40 touchdowns and 5,000 total yards, you know, rushing and, and, and passing, where are you going to draft him? Oh, no, 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 I just wouldn't draft him. Dude, that has a value. Where are you going to draft them? If you can't answer that question, then you're a zealot. You're an ideologue. You're not an actual you're not actually looking at the facts. You must be willing to draft a QB or a tight end or any other position based on its projected production relative to what else is there. And I get it. There's a high replacement value at quarterback, but just because it's high doesn't mean that the top guy who's way above that isn't worth more than some, you know, hit or miss, running back or receiver. And I think, you know, people need to get out. You can't be ideological about this. You need to do it based on, you know, what's actually going to score the most points relative to what's available later in the draft.
1: Right. I mean, I I agree. Now, that said, when you go with the wide receivers early and wait on the quarterback, you know, you can always find a quarterback on the waiver wire unless you're just in a ridiculously deep two-team league. Like someone will be there who will accumulate stats. That's not necessarily the case with wide receivers where, you know, pick up some third guy who might get two catches or something like that. Um, And, you know, and and running backs, while it's tough to get them in fab and on the waiver wire, you know, some will be out there, you know, that have massive value and you need to obviously, you know, be at the right place at the right time. But you can do that as opposed to a lot of other positions where it's like harder to do that. And those guys may not necessarily emerge. So that's one of the benefits I I think of that strategy.
0: Yeah, it's weird, though. You know, in in baseball, the whole thing was wait on pitching because, you know, there's always going to be pitchers on the waiver wire that you can pick up. But I feel like the, I'm having a great year this year, and a lot of the uh, B C guys are kind of ahead of the experts, I think, because they're playing in a big-money league and it's sort of more of a market rather than just people's random opinions. Um, and they started pounding the pitching, and I'm telling you, that that works. And it's kind of, I think QBs and wide receivers are like pitchers. They're like... You know, it's become a more QB passing friendly league in the NFL, it's become a more pitching friendly league in baseball. So you think, oh, there's more supply, so, you know, I don't need to draft one of those guys early. But I actually just don't think that's true. I think what happens is those guys become more reliable. As the league gets more friendly to QBs and receivers, then they start to live up to their ADPs better, right? And then running backs, you know, stop living up to their ADPs as well. And so then what you end up having is, you know, your early picks, it's safer to go receivers and QBs, and it's riskier to go running backs. now. Do you, is there a ton of upside if you happen to get that DeMarco Murray last year? Of course, right? I mean, that's you know, the way to get the most possible points. And if you're in a big national contest where most points wins the whole thing, I think you do want to hit the running backs. But, uh, but I think in terms of reliability, especially in this day and age, the receivers and QBs, and I think your study, you did a study that bore this out. The QBs and receivers hold their preseason ADPs better. The running backs, right, and that's because you know the quarterbacks don't get hurt at the same rate as they did 10 15 years ago with the rule changes,
1: and the wide receivers rarely get hurt. The only three wide receivers in the last uh, 15 years who've been drafted in the top 15 overall ADP have missed that at the end of the year. Now, that's a pretty low barrier, but if you look at other positions like running back, you know they miss it even worse, so it's pretty safe. Now, you don't get the massive upside. Of a star running back, you know, who's doing everything, getting you know the ball in the air, on the ground, you know, at the goal line. Um, but you know, it's a safe pick, and then you can you know, you can try to pick up some upside guys later. Okay, Chris, let's turn to the position rankings. But before we do that, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, MaximumFantasySports.com. Do you enjoy playing fantasy football for cash, but are tired of the same boring game offerings or websites keeping too much of the fantasy prize pool? If so, check out MaximumFantasySports.com. They have a variety of public fantasy football leagues with features no other website offers and pay out 90% of the prize pool. MFS hosts daily, weekly, monthly, and redraft leagues. That's MaximumFantasySports.com. Let's move out of the rankings here. Um, just, just to go, yeah, we talk about quarterbacks. You, know, you, you mentioned this earlier with Luck and Aaron Rodgers, but after those two, how do you see the rest of the top, you know, the top 12 breaking down?
0: I mean, you know, I, I think Russell Wilson may outpoint Drew Brees, um, this year, I mean, depending, you know, we'll, we'll see what actually happens in terms of how many times the the Saints throw. But if Graham becomes a factor, uh, Russell Wilson may outpoint Drew Brees. But you may still rather have Drew Brees because the running quarterbacks sometimes their big games come in these big bursts, and they have quiet games for a couple games. So the consistency. You know, it's kind of like, I think about like DFS, right? In DFS, when you're doing a head-to-head matchup, you don't want to get the crazy upside lineup. You want to get the lineup that's solid and above average every week, right? That's how you win in head-to-head DFS. If you want to win a big tournament, you want upside. Well, what is a seasonal fantasy football? It's basically head-to-head DFS every week, right? It's a head-to-head matchup. So you want the guy who's going to be, you know, above average strong every week, even if another guy who's more volatile, um, you know, may end up scoring more points. So, you know, I have Wilson in terms of our projections, ever so slightly ahead of Breeze. But I think maybe Breeze is safer because he's going to throw 600-plus times, um, and he's not going to be as as dependent on the running stats, which are more volatile, to get his points. So that's your top, top four and then top, you know, number five. And then I have, you know, I mean, look, the projections have it one way. I, I, they're all very close. Matt Ryan is right up there with those guys. Peyton is. I mean, I think there's more risk with Peyton, but upside is still, you know, last year's final stats, which were great. Uh, Roethlisberger could be a monster. Cam Newton, I think, is going to have a good year. Because uh, he has that rushing floor, I'd probably take Ben over Newton, even though I have Newton projected slightly higher again, because the rushing touchdowns and yards are a little more volatile, and you want the every week guys. Brady's projected a little lower than I think because I have to, you know, factor in suspension games. But you know, obviously, it's so easy to get a quarterback for a couple. It's not like Le'Veon Bell where you know you're going to get something to, to sub in for him in a couple weeks, but it's going to be substantially worse. With Brady, if you get the right matchup, you may get three touchdowns each week from your sub quarterback, and then you get Brady. So. Uh, I, I think Brady, in terms of drafting, should be up in the top eight or nine. Uh, and then Eli's right there, too. I mean, Victor Cruz looks healthy. Odo Beckham is such a monster. Uh, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul has blew off his fingers. Who knows how good the defense is going to be now. So Eli's right there, too. So I, I think, you know, once you get past Luck and Rodgers, uh, I, I really am not going to pay a premium. I'm not going to go fifth round or, or sixth round probably on, on Breeze or Manning. I'm probably just going to wait till the eighth or ninth and take whichever guy falls.
1: And, uh, you know, you've been saying in this podcast that your sort of weight on a quarterback guy has been uh, Colin Kaepernick, given that they have no defense anymore. They've all retired, and, you know, there's some upside with him throwing and running as a result. Are you still sticking with that? And I don't think you took him in the stake league, did you?
0: No. Well, he went for some ridiculous. He went for like 21 bucks, I got Brady for 14 or something. So, um, of course, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I do like Kaepernick, though. I did get him in one of the NFFC leagues, and uh, and I do think, you know, he's always thrown like 440 times a year, which is you know, the 32nd overall in the league. I mean, if you don't attempt passes, there's just no way to put up numbers. He's got Torrey Smith there. I think Vernon Davis will be good again. The defense sucks, they're gonna throw more. Uh, and He's gonna obviously run for a lot. And he only had one touchdown last year, but that's a fluke with the amount of rushing yards he gets. So expect three or four. So, you know, I think he's gonna have a big year. I, I don't trust him. Like, I don't think that it's guaranteed that he has a big year. He's the kind of guy who could lose his job. You know, I mean, he's he's that volatile that like maybe he just sucks, you know, and he's and he's not really good. Um, but I, but there's really big time upside with him. Now, the guy, you know, Ryan
1: Tannehill is the guy that I like to wait on. I got him for $9 in that stake league, which is a little bit more of a function of the late, you know, end game uh, part of the of an auction where the drafts, you know, numbers get kind of warped. But still, pretty good value. And, you know, his rushing stats, obviously some variance there, but you got they are a factor. As you know, the guy you're kind of targeting is if, if you're waiting, you know, if you're punting quarterback completely and like a 12, you know, 10 to 12 team
0: lead. My vibe on him is bad. Um, the $9 is just such a great deal. You really can't argue with it. I mean, you know, he should be going for like 18 based on his projections and, and it's not just my projection. I think he's universally around the top 12 guy because what happens is if you look at the number of attempts he gets and then you look at the rushing totals he gets, you really, when you're doing projections, cannot get him out of the top 13. You just can't. It's impossible to project him. You would have to project him to completely collapse versus last year's totals, but what did they do? They went out and they drafted a, a first round receiver with an early pick. You know, they signed Kenny Stills, they signed Greg Jennings, and, you know, they went and got Jordan Cameron. All they did was go out and basically get him way better weapons than he had last year. So how could you give him worse numbers in his fourth year in the league when he's getting better because he's kind of late coming to the quarterback position He was a receiver earlier? So, he, you know, you got to love the projection. My vibe on him is bad. I don't know what it is. I end up liking Eli better, even Rivers maybe a little better. But I'm not gonna knock you for nine bucks. He should have gone for like 16 at least. Yeah, the two the two leagues were just
1: like tremendously late on a quarterback. That was one. The other one was I got where I got Stafford as like the 16th quarterback and like the uh, I forget what round that was, but it was extremely late. But you can wait forever on quarterback and still end up guys who are gonna, you know, put up a lot of attempts. You know, like you know Stafford. Uh, you know, at 610 probably minimum. So, you know, if he's healthy, so you know, I'm not hide him by any means. But you get, you know, you get some production late. Guys are going to put up numbers. So, I mean, I, I that's you know, I'm a test case of guys that wait forever on quarterback and still, you know, still survive. I think. All
0: right, well, you can, you can. It can get ugly. I had a really good team um, in the uh, NFFC last year. I my picks were, uh, I think I had Lacey in the first round and DeMarco Murray in the second and Gronk in the third, and that's like a really good start. Uh, but I had Foles as my QB, and he was okay for a few weeks. Then he got hurt, and I was mixing and matching, and I wasn't doing a good job. Let me tell you, man, if, if the QB mixing and matching and streaming doesn't go well, it sucks. I mean, that was also a six-point per passing TD League. But, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's, it's not doable. It totally is. But I, I wouldn't take it for granted. You know, if you take Kaepernick as your guy and he ends up kind of sucking, you know, it's not, it's not going to be pleasant when the other guy you're going against has, you know, Rogers or Luck or Breeze every week. Yeah, and, you know, Luck hasn't missed a game in his, in his
1: career, and I remember that 16-team stake league, I almost, you know, went the extra dollar to get him with the mindset of, like, it really wouldn't be a bad thing in a 16-team league if you had a, a quarterback that you knew was going to play 16 games, and obviously anyone can miss time. You know, Brady, uh, Rodgers, they've missed time before, but, you know, Luck certainly seems as good about it as anyone, uh, you know, to
0: play 16 games. Right, and in a, in a floor-driven league where you don't want to be buying stakes, but you don't really care about winning because it's not really that valuable to win, but the stakes are expensive if you lose, there's no better floor-driven pick than Andrew Luck. Yeah. So High-volume you... running QB who, knock on wood, who I have in an important league is durable. Um, you know, in, in the peak of his career with better weapons than he's had, I mean, that is the most floor-driven pick you can possibly get. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, and just for the listener's
1: sake, this, the stake league bet is the bottom half has to buy the top half league of this league's stake. So total points are, are a big factor as opposed to just head-to-head head head and winning the overall Super Bowl. Um, all right, switching to running back, uh, Le'Veon Bell, this news was just breaking the last time we, you know, we, we did this podcast. His suspension goes from three games to two games.
0: For you, that gives him a, that gives him a pretty big boost, even though it's only one more game, right? Well, he's the number one guy. I mean, it's just, he, look, if he weren't suspended, this would not even be a debate. Every single person in every single league would take him first. I mean, unless it's some crazy scoring system, right? The guy caught 83 balls last year. Okay, let's take off two games from that. What I projected, and I regressed him. I gave him 63 for 615 uh, receiving yards. Look at number two, Peterson. 36 for 322 is what I gave him and one touchdown. I gave Le'Veon in 14 games 63, 615 and two. That's double what Peterson does in the passing game. So even though Peterson's got two more rushing games to, to make that up, he's not going to be able to. And then if you count PPR, it's not even close, right? Because the difference between 36 and 63, and maybe my is 27 receptions, right? What is that? That's like four and a half touchdowns. So that's like giving another guy four and a half touchdowns, right? And he's missing two games. But are you, you know, would you take four and a half touchdowns in two games? Of course you would. So He's the number one guy by far in PPR. I think he even has a a slight edge in non-PPR. Remember, you don't just get Le'Veon Bell for 14 games. You get Le'Veon Bell for 14 plus some dude you start for two games. that gets you, you know, eight points a week or whatever it is. And that total is going to beat Peterson. It's going to beat Lacey, at least in my mind.
1: All right, so you got Bell first, Peterson number two. Uh, Round out the rest of your top uh, four here. I
0: think there's a big four, basically, although sometimes you think Lynch maybe creeps in there a little bit. Yeah, it's really hard to distinguish, conceptually, Lynch from Peterson, right? I mean, aren't they kind of the same guy? Like, they're both, like, super rugged runners. They both get all the goal line looks. They're both okay in the passing game but not big there. They're really similar. And, you know, Peterson maybe has more, you know, that breakaway speed. But how many runs is that really going to happen on? Two a year? You know I mean? It's it's really not that big a difference. Um, So... He is kind of the fifth guy, but I think you could put him in the top five as a big five. You got Bell, Peterson, Lacy, Charles, and Lynch are the big five.
1: And then after that, the next you got number six. You got to Marco Murray. I, you know, I'm down on him. Just a lot of carries. He's never, you know, last year was probably the first, you know, year of his entire college and pro career where he was healthy. You know, it's a good offensive system, but you know, he's, he's got some decent backups.
0: But you still have number six. Yeah, I mean, you get one of the most injury-prone running backs in the league. Give him 392 regular season carries, 40 more in the postseason, and what could go wrong? Right? Put him on a new team with a different system. How can anything go bad? No. The the, the thing. First off, Stefani Bell, uh, and I kind of agree with her on this. Uh, says the, the workload doesn't matter from last year. That's just a myth. I mean, guys get hurt anyway with small workloads, big workloads, whatever. It's been it's nine months ago. You know, I mean, how could it, how could it realistically affect him this year? You know, I mean, it's like I don't think that's a big deal. I think you know, think systems career- is tough.
1: Career workload, I could maybe buy more. Career Cameron. workload, yes. yes.
0: But career workload also comes with age. It also comes with, you know, a lot of dings and injuries. I mean, this is just, he, he got through the season unscathed last year, and, you know, and it's nine months later. And he was completely healthy all last year. So I'm not too worried about the workload, but he's just worrisome anyway. he got get hurt just, you know, before last year. He was incredibly injury prone. But he caught 57 balls last year, 53 the year before in 14 games. Uh, that, that's kind of the big question for me. I think, you know, we, we can't really predict injuries that well. So just give him the fact that, you know, I gave him 288 carries. I gave him four and a half yards of carrying 10 TDs, which I think are legit if he stays healthy. The question is, I gave him 37 receptions. If he catches 50 plus, like last year, then he's a real star. If he catches 25 to 30, like uh, Lashawn McCoy did last year because they have Sproles and Ryan Matthews can also catch balls too, um, it's going to hurt him. So I think that's kind of the variable and just his injury proneness is why he's not in the top five. Okay, so then,
1: then there's kind of more of a drop off to the second round, you know, late second round for the next couple guys: Forte, Lashawn McCoy, Jeremy Hill, C.J. Anderson. Um, you know, uh, any, Matt Forte I got for like thirty-four dollars in the steak league. Almost everybody else in this top like ten to twelve was going for about forty bucks. Collectively, I think the RotoWire guys just are kind of down on him. But when you you know when you grade out his statistics, he still got a pretty high floor, I think.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I gave him 67 catches for 533 yards, and that sounds like maybe too much, but he had 100 last year. <laughs> That's only two-thirds of his catches from last year. It's coaching change, but I don't know how different you know, the, the system will be with, with Forte being such a good receiver. It's one of those things where you know, if I'm at the end of the second round, this happened in the NFC PPR league, and I'm like, he's slipping you know, late second, and I'm going, please, someone take Forte. I don't want to have to make this decision. I don't want him to come to me because can you really turn him down in a PPR in the end of the second round? That's pretty tough. Same time, I have a bad vibe on him. And in football, it's not like baseball. You know, in football, it's like, screw value, man. If I don't have a good vibe on a guy, it's like, oh, but he's worth it. I mean, at a certain point, you got to take him. But for the most part, it's like, it could just be the collapse here. He's got a lot of career workload. You know, the new system is not going to necessarily be as good for him. He may have one more great year and I may miss out, but I'm willing to do that. I, I, I'm nervous about him. All right. So 11,
1: 11 12, you got Alfred Morris, Melvin Gordon, Justin Forsett, Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller, you have kind of been out on Twitter and that stuff, kind of defending him as, as a you know as a as a pretty good pick, maybe like a, in the third round or at least somebody that you're going to hang your head on as as a running back for maybe your, you know your top selection if you're going like right wide receiver early.
0: Yeah, if I had a couple of wide receivers, good wide receivers, and I was looking for a running back, I'd be very happy with Lamar Miller. He averaged how much do you think he averaged per carry last year? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I mean, you know, my instinct is obviously not elite, right,
1: pedestrian, but obviously that must not be the case.
0: Five point one per carry right right and he caught like 39 passes and he wasn't necessarily starting the whole year because no Moreno was the starter early in the year I mean this guy was really good and he's in a situation where the offense should be better and there's really no competition for the job and he's fast and he's got good size I mean what's what's not to like about Lamar Miller it's just that the coaching staff never really took to him initially I think that's really the only knock on him. that He never really got the full chance to play. You know, He was kind of a touted rookie, and he never really immediately panned out. But, man, I, I think that, you know, it, you look at him in the, the, the thir- late third, early fourth round, I'm, I'm really happy to get him. Now, yeah, round out the rest of your top 20, then, just to, just to go through. We my... can talk, I mean, about, talk top. about Jeremy Hill. I mean, Jeremy Hill's a monster. It's just really hard to love a guy who you know is going to cede the third down carries to an excellent third down back. I mean, you know he's not getting – and that's the same thing with Melvin Gordon. You have Danny Woodhead and Brandon Oliver there. I like, you know, the, the concept of this, you know, pedigreed rookie getting the full-time gig and a decent offense. But you know the third down ones uh, – the third down chances are not going to be there for both him and Hill. And that's just hard to – you know, you want a guy who can do everything, and those guys are limited in, in that way. CJ Anderson, I have 10. A lot of people love him. People have him at six or five, and people really like him in that situation. But – I don't know, man. I, a guy drafted—you know was the undrafted. He's either seventh round or undrafted, and you know he's was just got—he's just. I know it's a new coaching staff, but he's got two viable backups.
1: in the last year, all three of them, you know, well, at times were productive. It's really, it's certainly, certainly, was I mean, was productive. Hillman uh, was productive when when he was in there. So I just that just makes me nervous. And I'm taking a guy that early. I, I just want no competition behind
0: him. Right, you, right. If, if C.J. Anderson fumbles or has a bad game, and there's no reason to think he will, but if he does, right, and the line's probably not as good, I think Clady's hurt again. Um, you know, then what happens, right? There's going to be talk. There's going to be an issue. Whereas if Adrian Peterson fumbles or has a bad game, there's just zero possibility that he loses the job. Same with Marshawn Lynch, right? Same with Le'Veon Bell. So when you same, draft, with, same with Alfred Morris? Same with Alfred Morris, who's going to be drafted, you know, behind C.J. Anderson. So, yeah, I, I just... T.J. Anderson's upside is off the charts, but it's just like I don't want to be nervous about my guy keeping the job. You know, maybe in middle round two, okay, maybe I'll make the plunge and do it. But that's why I don't have him higher than that. You know, Forsett people love. John Hansen loves Forsett. We got into a debate about it. I said, sell me on Forsett. Why do you like him so much? And he just thinks because Tressman is over there, who was the architect of Matt Forte's 100 catch year, and that the Ravens are limited in their passing uh, options, that Forsett's going to catch, you know, 70 balls. And if he he does that, he's going to be a monster. I just, you know, again, it's a 29-year-old journeyman guy who, if he has a bad game or two, are they going to stick with him, right? Is he really, you know, are they committed to him? And I'm not so sure. I've got Todd Gurley at 15. You know, it's obviously just health with him. But, you know, word is I'm not a college football guy, but the word that I've heard is that he's the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson. Good enough for me. Mark Ingram, 16. Uh, I don't love him. I think he's injury prone, but it's good offense. They, they've sort of designed the team to be more run first. He could get 12 touchdowns, no problem. Frank Gore's super old, but hasn't fallen off a cliff yet. He's in a great situation. They may throw the ball to him more, something that he used to do earlier in his career. Carlos Hyde, have I ba- have a Monte Ball vibe about him, but it is his job. He uh, did get a lot of yards after contact last year. Certainly didn't look bad last year. Andre Ellington, who I'm very nervous about. I think Arizona's bringing in Chris Johnson. I don't think they trust Ellington to carry the load. And then 20 is Joseph Randall, who, you know, he's ostensibly the starter. But I have a weird vibe also that the leading rusher in Dallas is not on the roster yet.
1: All right, so that's your top 20. I mean, who are some guys, you know, in
0: you know, the, the mid-rounds, you're
1: eyeing, you know, when you're, when you're waiting on running back or just good values in the mid-rounds and running back?
0: Yeah, I like Ryan Matthews. I think, you know, Murray's a bit of a risk, and even if Murray stays healthy, Matthews may get 150 to 200 carries just because they run so much, and he's good. Um, so that's a guy that, I, that I've been getting and I would not mind getting. In a non-PPR, I think Chris Ivory's underrated, and he's just a solid early down running back. He doesn't catch passes, but he's pretty good. Um, I like getting the guys who are cheaper in the battle. So, you know, if, if Tevin Coleman's going around six and I can get Devonta Freeman around eight, give me that. I know they're both a little banged up. Uh, If Amir Abdullah is going in round six and George Bell slips a couple rounds, I'll take him. Um, If, you know, Duke Johnson and and Isaiah Crowell, everybody loves those guys. I'll take Terrence West with the third to last pick of the draft. You know, he goes super late. Give me the guys that nobody likes. I like Cameron Artis Payne because Jonathan Stewart, although he was really good when they gave him a shot, he's old, he's injury prone. I think there's a real shot for someone else in Carolina to to take over there. Uh, I like Chris Polk among the uh, foster backups. I think, you know, I think, Blue kind of showed that he's mediocre. Polk might be good. So I like him too.
1: I'll switch to wide receiver. Um, You know, not much shakeup early in camp, but uh, Des Bryant's your number one, Odell Beckham number two, at least according to this, or is that what you're going with? I mean, you were going to take Beckham number one overall, at least with their first pick. I think that was number two overall in the NFFC league. You didn't get the chance to do that, but
0: um, is he still, would he still be your top guy? Yeah, I only was going to do that because I thought Le'Veon bell was going to be gone. Um, yeah, that's PPR. So I probably take Odell Beckham over Des in PPR. In non PPR, I think Des is the best shot. He's got 41 touchdowns over the last three years. He's just beside him and Gronk. Those two are the, the the league's elite red zone targets and elite touchdown scores among pass catchers. And in non PPR, that really matters a lot. In PPR, you know, volume starts to matter more. And they just don't crazily target Des Bryant for whatever reason. So he and Beckham are sort of one and one a. Uh, Antonio Brown's right there, too. I, I don't have a great Antonio Brown vibe, but, I mean, you can't argue with the, the body of work. Damaris Thomas, Julio Jones, those are my big five. I think any of those five could be argued to be the number one guy.
1: And then, you're, and then your second sent, Calvin Johnson, Jordy Nelson, A.J. Green that's kind of like the next tier. I I mean, again, my dream is to get a a league where I actually have a draft spot at the end of the first round where I go Calvin Johnson, AJ Green, because I feel like they're on sale this year. I haven't been able to make make that happen so
0: far, unfortunately, but um, any reservations about any of those three guys? You know, Calvin's getting older. He's had some injuries, and I'm not sure that old receivers age that well. If you look at the guys who have done well, you know, Terrell Owens and Anquan Boulder, are the only big ones, right? All the other older receivers that produced like Reggie Wayne, Derek Mason, and Keenan McCardell and Jimmy Smith, and there's a lot of them, and Steve Smith, they're all small. I don't know if these big bodies age as well. So he may have one. I, th- I still think he has a year or two left of being really good, yeah, but he's, he's in is. a decline phase. So th- you know, th- there's a little reason for his discount. Jordy Nelson, it's just kind of like, you know, is he really that great of receiver? Is it just Rodgers? Does that even matter since Rodgers is still his QB? I, I guess he belongs. He's just been, you know, whenever- on a per-target basis, he's the best receiver in the NFL the last five years. Maybe Deshaun Jackson's right there, but he doesn't catch the touchdowns. A.J. Green, you know, he'd be in the top five as of last year. Nothing happened except that he got hurt. Um, so, yeah, I, I think all three of those guys, you know, for this year still have as much upside as any of the top five. And then your next uh, uh,
1: next, next one, next five guys kind of drop into, like, the late second early third round. You know, Alshon
0: Jeffrey, Mike Evans, Randall Cobb. These guys are second round. I don't think they're going to the third. Oh, well, I mean, that's true. I guess second. Evans sometimes. I mean, it's easy. I, I don't think he gets out of the second, and I, you know, I have Jeffrey one slot ahead of him because he's been so good for a couple of years, and Brandon Marshall's gone, but man, Evans, I think you know, in terms of upside, he could score 16 touchdowns this year, right? I mean, he, he's just getting started, and the QB and offensive coordinator situation is going to, if anything, got better for him, so I, I really like Mike Evans this year. And see, the, uh, then you
1: got De- DeAndre Hopkins, Manuel Sanders, T.Y. Hilton, Jordan Matthews. You know, Matthews every draft him in somebody's always taking a shot at him. Has that been the same case with you? I mean it seems like he's we have him ranked fifteenth, but somebody always like, you know, you know, takes a takes him a lot
0: earlier than I thought. Yeah, I probably would too. Like, you know, I have I you know when you're doing projections, right? You gotta do like upside and downside, right? it's not like oh win the league or bust, get the most points or bust. It's Well, Jordan Matthews has really just had one year, and he had a good rookie year, but wasn't spectacular. And T.Y. Hilton's been good for a couple years, and Emmanuel Sanders is a monster in that Peyton Manning offense. Um, And We don't even know that Jordan Matthews is going to be a monster this year, so you can't project him for more than this. But, you know, at the draft table, that's the guy you want to draft, right? That's the guy who can win the league. He can be a top-five receiver. So you can't really see T.Y. Hilton being a top-five receiver. So I understand it, and I'd probably do the same thing. All right, so round out the rest of your top 20 after Matthews Yeah, I got Watkins, who's great talent, terrible situation. Golden Tate um, was good, dating back to his days in Seattle. Uh, you know, obviously got a little boost from Calvin Johnson being banged up, but Calvin Johnson played 12 full, healthy games, and Golden Tate still had 99 catches. So I'm still reasonably high on him. Kelvin Benjamin showed up out of shape, but still really the only game in town there, and huge target in the red zone. Brandon Cooks like him a lot better in PPR, but you know, just being the number one guy in New Orleans is, is a good thing. And then 20s Keenan Allen, who everyone's expecting a bounce back from, and Maybe he'll do that. I, I'm a little less excited about him, but it just shows I had him 20, just because the next 10 or so are very sketchy. The, the receivers right after Benjamin and Cooks kind of drop off the map.
1: The number 21 is Michael Floyd. I probably could have mentioned him in our kind of news segment. Three, couple of uh, dislocated fingers, questionable for week one or two or that kind of thing. I think he's kind of a value if he slips a little bit. I mean, he could be really good if the quarterbacking is good again this year and the injury. You know, it is your hand. I guess you got to catch the ball as a receiver, but it's so early in
0: camp that, you know, by the time week one rolls around, it might not even matter. Yeah, I mean, he's not really projected to miss much time, but everybody's kind of panicking. It's one of those things that they're, that's, that is a recipe for value. The, the thing that worries me about Floyd more than the injury is just, you know, they just don't like him, and I don't understand why. I mean, the dude is just extremely big and fast. He's like Julio Jones' athleticism. He's, like, one of the top three or four most athletic receivers in the league. He had a great second year. I know the quarterback carousel was an issue, but he was already getting kind of – not targeted, you know, midway through the season last year, and I, I don't, I don't get it. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, that, that they they target him. I haven't really gotten him for some reason, but uh, but I do think he could end up being a value. All right, so that's your
1: top 21. Who are the wide receivers you're kind of looking for in those middle rounds, especially if you start out, you know, with one or two running backs, and you're really trying to, you know, you know, get a couple get a couple of uh, wide receivers out of the mix in the middle rounds.
0: Yeah, Alan Robinson in Jacksonville is in year two. He's got the size-speed combo that's good. He seems to be Blake Bortles' favorite target. Um, you know, obviously Bortles has to get better, otherwise he'll be out of the league soon. Uh, so, I, you know, I like him. I like Brashad Perriman. I really don't think Steve Smith – I think Steve Smith is done, and it's a joke that people are drafting him as high as they are. I mean, he's just he was terrible the last 10 games of last year. He's 36 years old. So I, I think he's finished. So I like Perriman as the best chance to fill in there. Um, I like Dante Moncrief. I don't believe in Andre Johnson. It may take a few weeks for the Colts to realize it, but – He's in year two. I think he could break out. Um, Devontae Parker is another. He's a rookie, but he's a he's a real pedigreed, size, speed specimen and, uh, and you know, should be back by the start of the season or at least shortly thereafter. I think he might not pull another little Beckham, but he'll pull a poor man's little Beckham and start a couple weeks in but be their main guy. A um, couple other guys. One guy, I like, super late, I was getting my last pick, is Terrell Pryor. You know that he's 6'4", 233, and runs like a four three five. I mean... How hard is route running? You know, I mean, if he can pick up route running, the guy's just a monster. And he obviously knows something about route running because he's a, he's a quarterback. And what if, you know, McCown gets hurt and Manziel's just not even ready and they start to use prior occasionally a quarterback for some plays? That would just be sick.
1: Well, it'd be better if he was in a good offensive system where he could just, you know, you know step in and, and then suddenly his athleticism would make him valuable. I mean, that's my case with the Colts. Like, Phil Dorsett, he's their first-round pick. He's drawn raves in camp. You know, right now pff, he's like fourth, fifth, sixth on the depth chart. But just get, any, you know, especially late round, your bench. Just get anyone in that passing game. Mention Moncrief he could be number three. But even if he starts at like number four or something like that, you know, one or two injuries, especially with you know Johnson or somebody who's old, and suddenly
0: you know those guys could be real difference makers. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the Colts, there's a lot of hurdles to cross. There's a lot of guys there, right? And then in Cleveland, there's really nobody. To there's no real. I mean, Dwayne Bow's their best receiver. Um, but obviously the passing game is worse. But you saw what Josh Gordon did when Brian Hoyer and Jason Campbell and Brandon Weeden were his quarterback. So I think if you're one of those just absolutely physically dominant receivers, you don't really even need a good quarterback. They just chuck it up. Nobody can guard you. All right. So those are some sleepers, you know, for for, uh, for wide
1: receiver. Let's let's switch to tight ends. Obviously Gronk's in the class all by himself. When are you? You know, if you're not taking Gronk, and he's going to go in the first round in probably every draft.
0: Um, you know, when are you typically taking your, taking a tight end? Yeah. You know, I took Kelsey at the three, four turn and one NFFC, but I, I might not do that again. Um, I like Kelsey, but the hype is a little out of control. I don't really trust that whole system or Andy Reid to get in the ball. I think round five, you could take Kelsey, uh, you know, maybe late fourth, sometime in five, Greg Olson goes around then. I think it's okay. Zach hurts maybe around six or seven. He's kind of a, a wild card. Martellus Bennett, same thing. But, you know, usually if I don't get Gronk, I don't like Graham really in the situation and what he's costing. If I don't get Gronk, say early round two, which is where I consider him, uh, I'm just going to punt and take Vernon Davis. I got Vernon Davis around 11. I think Vernon Davis is like, you know, easily, he's a top 10 tight end and, and could easily be top five. And um, where he's going, I just think that's the value. And that's the guy I'm going to have in a lot of leagues. Yeah. So you got Gronk and Graham number one, number two. And you kinda
1: of whip through your top six there. And then you've got Jordan Cameron, Jason Witten, Delaney Walker, Vernon Davis. Let's just say you're, you know, in a deep league like the two tight end league that we're in, you know, the Stopa Law Firm League. Um, you know, who are your who are your you know, super weight on tight end guys? You're already waiting on tight end you've said, but you know, if
0: you have to even dig, right. dig deeper. Well Tyler Arford and he's gonna move up boards because I maybe I should even boost his projection slightly. he seems to be looking good in camp and healthy and he's the only game in town there. He was a first round pick for them, so He's a guy I'd be happy to gamble on. Josh Hill could fill a big role uh, with Jimmy Graham gone, um, you know, later, really late. Eric Ebron and, and uh, Ladarius Green who's going to get four games to maybe be really good. And then Austin Safarian Jenkins, tight ends almost never do anything in their rookie year. So you don't really want to hold Ebron, Safarian Jenkins, disappointing rookie seasons against them. This is the year where it starts to matter. So either one of those guys could take a massive leap. Um, the problem is they're both paired with two very target heavy receivers. But then again, neither neither team, the Bucks nor the Lions, has any third receivers to speak of. So, you know, maybe there is room for a tight end in both those offenses. All
1: right, let's switch over some rookies. Obviously, we've done a bunch of drafts now, so we gotta get a feel of where they're going for and what we think about them. We mentioned about a bunch of them, but let's just go through a couple more. Amari Cooper, where's he going in drafts? What should I look for him this year?
0: He's going early, like you know, 20th receiver ish level. Um, I, I wrote about four guys I'm not going to own this year. I probably won't own. I, I would never say never. And one of them was Cooper. I I just think that passing game sucks. And people are like, oh, Derek Carr, he's good. Nobody, Did you realize that the difference between the 31st team in YPA, which was the Jaguars, they had like 6.2, and the 32nd team in YPA, which was the Raiders, who had 5.5, is bigger than the difference between the Colts, who were number 7 in YPA at like 7.7, and the Bengals, who were number 18 in YPA at like 7.1. There was a bigger difference between the Jaguars, who sucked, and the Raiders, than the Colts and the Bengals last year. And the Bengals were Andy Dalton with none of his receivers healthy, okay? That's how bad the Raiders were. The, the, they were so much worse than the 31st best passing team last year. And people are like, oh, but Derek Carr, he threw 21 touchdowns or whatever. Who cares? To me, the Raiders, the organization is, is rotten. Uh, there's no evidence that Derek Carr, in my mind, is good. And he may get a lot of targets, but I think he's going to end up getting six, six 6.4 yards per target. So, you know, he's going to end up with, you know, 900 yards on a ton of targets and five or six touchdowns. That's worth something, but it's not worth where he's going. All right, how about Nelson Aguilar? You know, I just don't know with him. You know, I mean, with the Eagles, who the hell knows? You know, sometimes it'll be Brent Selleck will get a touchdown or it'll be, you know, we think Jordan Matthews is the number one, that Aguilar is the number two, but is, is he going to be? Do we know who's going to get the passes? I guess it's cool that it's wide open, but my feeling is, yeah, sure. I like him as sort of a flyer. I think he's going too high for sort of just the, the not knowing what his role is. Devontae
1: Parker, obviously he's got a foot issue. If it becomes clear that he's gonna, you know, play, we'll probably get some insight of that over the next couple of weeks.
0: You know, does he does he does he jump up on your sheets? I mean, I have him basically playing, you know, like week two or three at least. You know, maybe he doesn't play week one or he gets limited. And I like him. I mean there's nobody there who's that good. Kenny Still's great per target numbers, but he's to me he's a one dimensional deep guy. You got Greg Jennings' is old, uh, Jarvis Landry's just sort of a move the chains, Julian Edelman type. I mean, he's not going to make any big plays. He'll get targets. But there's one guy who they drafted and put their – you know, you don't draft a guy in the first half of the first round unless you're going to use him right away. This is their number one guy. This is the number one receiver that they drafted. And if he's healthy, I think he's going to get a chance to be like, you know, a 1,000-yard, seven- or eight-touchdown guy right away. All right, TJ Yeldon, but- I mean – Do you put
1: any faith in the Jaguars passing, I'm sorry,
0: rushing attack? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm not a big college guy. I don't know how good these guys are. He's going, you know, round fifth round and seems to be the starter. It's fine. You know, Denard Robinson was good last year. I I wonder how much that's going to be a split or if Yeldon misses a block. I have no idea. I got him in one league at the 5-6 turn, and that's probably where I'd take him. Devin Funches, who I like as a sleeper, because I mean there's just you know not a number
1: two target there. And he was really good in college. I mean, really at times very good in college despite, you know, no quarterback in Michigan. But boy, there was a lot of love for him in the state league. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, everyone's late round sleeper. Maybe that's an exception. What do you think of that? What do you think of him?
0: I mean, the situation's good, right? Because I think Cam is actually a decent QB and you know, Benjamin showed up out of shape. That's it, right? I mean that, those are the only two guys. It's not gonna be Jericho Cottery. Philly Brown, maybe he, you know, plays a slot or something, but yeah, there's a chance there. I I just don't know how good Funches is. I mean, I've heard what you just said, that he played well despite bad quarterbacking, but is he fast enough to get stuff done? Is he, you know, is he kind of a tweener between a tight end and a wide receiver? That's what Kelvin Benjamin kind of seems like, and I guess he was fine. And if they do target Benjamin 140 times like they did last year, is there really room in that passing game after Olsen and Benjamin for a third guy? And then one last rookie running back we didn't really talk about, Amir Abdullah, uh, where's he going in drafts? Where are you going to take him? He's been going ahead of George Bell because George Bell's been banged up, and obviously he's a veteran. who's not that great. Uh, I guess I'm not that high on Abdullah. I don't know. Again, I'm not a college guy. I just know that he's a pass-catching guy, and Theo Riddick is still there, right, who's, who's good. He's, he's a good, quick pass-catcher. So, you know, I don't like situations where um, – you know, where the guy's going to have trouble fitting in. Now, Maybe he's just so good, and he has impressed the Lions in camp. Apparently, that he just blows away Joy Bell, and you know, there's you know Bell and and Rick just become change of pace guys. It's possible, um, but you know, I'm not paying that sixth round hype for him. You know, if he goes to the seventh or eighth, sure, I'll take him. All right, so that's it for the rookies. That's it for the podcast. We'll
1: do this again next week. A, a whole slate of preseason games, so I would imagine that these rankings will probably shift a bit, shift a bit. Thanks.